<laughs> Today, you're going to be learning about King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was, was known for something. Do you know what he was known for? He was the smartest person to have ever lived. He was wise. He had wisdom. Who knows what wisdom is? You're really smart. You can figure out things really fast. That's a good one. Know a lot of things and tell people advice. I like that. You can think in your brain very quickly like a snap. All right. Those are all pretty good descriptions of wisdom. Really simply, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do and doing it. A lot of people know what to do, but they don't do it. Some people don't know what to do, and they do something wrong. But wise people know the right thing to do, and they do it. One day, somebody bought a baby to King Solomon. Two, two ladies were arguing over who was the real mother of this baby. Isn't that weird? Guess what King Solomon said? Cut the baby in half. No, it was a real baby. <laughs> but they didn't cut the baby in half. He said, cut the baby in half. And then the real mom said, no, 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 give it to her. Because she didn't want the baby to be hurt. And right away, King Solomon knew that's the baby's mother. So they gave the baby to that lady. So that's what you're all going to learn about. Let me pray for you, and we're going to send you off to Sunday school, all right? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for these lovely boys and girls. We thank you for their teachers. We thank you for um, what they're going to learn about today. Father, may they grow to be wise. Open up their ears so they hear what you would have them hear and open up their eyes so they would see what you would have them see and that they can learn your truth today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Off you go. Bye-bye. Okay, <laughs>
Today, I put together sermon notes. If you didn't get sermon notes and you need them, uh, raise your hand, one over here, one over here. Anybody else need sermon notes? Okay, there you go, Bob, you just got two. (laughs) So last week, we began looking at a difficult passage of Scripture. It's one of those... um, It's the last thing that's recorded in the Gospel of John that Jesus says to his disciples before he leaves them to go to his arrest, trial, and and everything that happens on Easter week. And it comes after a long dialogue, which goes on about four chapters in John. It's very intense. And in those chapters, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. If you've got a red-letter Bible, you see four chapters of actually five chapters, of just all red letters. And he's telling them about everything that is going to happen. And it's kind of one of those, there's some good news and there's some bad news. Now, I don't know if you're like me. If anybody ever says to you there's good news or there's bad news, I seem to gravitate right away to the bad news. And we seem to recall the bad news. Now, these guys, they didn't really understand the bad news because Jesus was saying a lot of things to them that didn't make any sense. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving you. I'm going to be crucified. I'm coming alive again on the third day. And, and I'm sure they're like, what? And then there, there was some good news in there. But I think it was probably the bad news that they caught more. And, and then there's this moment in there a really intense relational moment where Jesus looks at these 11 men at this time and he calls them his friends. So over the course of three years that they've been with him, they've gone from, who's that guy? To followers, to disciples, to apostles. And now at this time, Jesus says, you are my friends. Which is incredibly relational. And then Jesus finishes up the whole dialogue with this troubling passage of scripture. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it's a pretty neat statement because it kind of describes the paradox that we find ourselves in. It's, it, it's a little difficult to get your head around actually in In me, you may have peace, but right now you're in this world. It's like we're in between, and you will have trouble. But don't worry, I got this. I've overcome this world. And it's a snapshot of that difficult place that we live in. You know, we've got something better that we're going to, but we live in the mess that is today. Now, for the sake of this study, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble I've broken troubles down into three categories, and this is the first blank on your notes. There's a saying, right? Somebody said it to me last week on the way out. Troubles come in threes. I remember my mom saying that. Troubles come in threes. I think they come in about 50s, but (laughs) that's the saying. So we've broken it down to three, temptations, trials, and tests. Last week, we looked at temptations. If you want to go to our website or our Facebook page, you can look at any of the previous week's messages. This week, we're going to take a look at the trials that we go through. I was going to do all three of these last week. 
I ended up just doing temptations. And as I put this one together, all we're getting to today is trials. Next week, we'll look at tests, which is actually a lot nicer. Now, trials, they can be subcategorized into two, external and internal. External are those things that happen to us. Life is rough, right? Things happen to us. Internal, we'll talk about that in a moment. A trial is, is a word that we use to describe a difficult situation. And we live in trying times right now, don't we? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you hear rumblings about OPEC has just said they're not going to produce as much oil, and that's got all the economists thinking we're going to go into a worldwide recession and jobs and everything else, and who knows what the next COVID or is. And, but I, I just can't help but think about the people in Ukraine. You know, you think about them a few months back, I don't know how long the war has been going on there now. February. They were living ordinary lives, just like you and I. You know, people getting up in the morning, getting ready for work, getting the kids ready for school, just living ordinary lives, going about their ordinary lives just like we do, planning vacations, weddings, birthday parties. And then all of a sudden comes this shadow war. And I don't know if if you were there like me, you you know, you kind of have it in your head. This doesn't happen nowadays. Maybe maybe somewhere in Africa, but not in Europe, not not in the first world. Like, no, no, can't be. And then that shadow gets darker and darker. And then the next thing, in the middle of their ordinary lives, there are missiles and shells and tanks and soldiers. And they're... Lives are devastated. Ordinary people having their lives ripped apart. That is a trial. A massive trial. And life is filled with trials. You know, I think of, I know so, so many people. You know, they've worked for a company all their lives, most of their lives, and coming up to retirement, a few years away from retirement, and all of a sudden something happens, that company goes under. Their retirement fund goes under, and all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation. They're close to retirement. Now they've got to find a job, and it's hard to find a job, and they're using their savings to keep their heads above water, and the future is bleak. That's a trial. They didn't do anything. That's a trial. And they're very real, the trials of life, and they're difficult, but in them... We can hold on to the promise from God that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. He is there to strengthen us, to hold us in his arms and remind us that there is more to life than just this life. This is the precursor to life. There's something, the best is yet to come. But those things are real, right? Those emotions are real. That pain is real. And and I'm pretty sure that as we weep, the Lord is weeping along with us. We live in the consequences of a fallen, broken world. And many of you have experienced the trials of life in this manner. I know I have. I know Sandra has. But at the same time, we've also experienced the supernatural peace 
that comes from Jesus Christ that he promised us that, that makes no sense in the middle of these trials. So that's the external aspect of trials. There is then the internal. Trial is also the word that we use when somebody's been accused of something and they go to court. They go on trial, right? They go on trial. What's the saying here? You do the crime, you do the time. We love justice in Texas, don't we? You do the crime, you do the time. Sometimes, some of the trials that we experience in life are the consequences of poor choices that we have made in life. These are what I call the internal trials. One of the aspects of our faith walk that we don't often like to talk about or even acknowledge is the Lord's rebuke. I call it divine discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Anybody here loved by the Lord? Raise your hand if you believe you're loved by the Lord. All right, that's not good news for you. <laughs> the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Any children of God here? It's not, a, I mean, who's got that as a memory verse? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got that one on the fridge. <laughs> Can we take that one out, God? <laughs> like, it doesn't really fit what I want, you know? For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. And the, the writer here is quoting a passage of Scripture from Proverbs 3. It says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Now, if you can leave that one up there, you guys do in the stream, I promise not to walk over here because in the stream, that verse is right here, and sometimes I walk in behind it. I will try and stay glued. But leave that up for a minute because I want to dig into this. It's a very difficult subject. Not one that we often talk about. Last week, we talked about temptations, where they come from, how to avoid falling for them. But what happens when we succumb to temptation? How does that affect our relationship with God? Does God simply turn a blind eye when we choose to sin against Him? You know, I think sometimes we have that that mentality of like, Ah, it's okay, you'll come around, no biggie. I, I like to think of God that way. I like to think about God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness. I don't often sit down and ponder God's divine discipline. I certainly don't pray for it. Well, maybe I have a few times. Let me explain something here. If you are a child of the Lord, and many of you raised your hands, probably everybody, someone who has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then your future is secure. You've got a place in eternity with the Lord in paradise, and nothing can steal that from you. Even if you mess up big time, this is the good news. Even if you mess up big time, if you have acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God, asked Him for forgiveness, if you choose to believe that God raised Him from the dead, which is the things that Nico did last year, he made a choice, 
to ask Jesus to come into his life as his Lord and as his Savior, then your eternity is secure. And there is nothing that can steal you from the Lord's hands. Your name is written in the, the Lamb's book of life, and there's no eraser. It's in there. But, let's get to the difficult stuff. But, in this world, if you choose to make a mockery of your relationship with the Lord by continuing to live in disobedience to the Lord, expect to be punished. It's a lovely, upbeat message this morning, isn't it? To follow last week's. Expect some trials. When you invited Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior, he said yes. He took that seriously. He said, yeah, if you're open, I'm open too. He took it seriously. And he expects us to take it seriously too. He says, I'll be your Savior and I will be your Lord. To be Lord means to be the supreme commander. Now, could you imagine joining the military and someone gives you an order and you kind of, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It, it's not going to go down well, is it? <laughs> you, you, you will not get away with that. And yet sometimes we have this kind of attitude toward God that because he's not standing there like the sergeant major yelling in our faces that, uh, you know, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. He expects you to take it seriously. Jesus paid a high price to be your Lord and Savior. He takes it seriously. He expects you, me, to take it seriously. And when we don't, expect divine discipline. He's got the power. He can mess with your life. So when you're a child, who's got the power? Parents, right? Mom and dad have the power when you're a child. I, I remember I remember I only ever got grounded one time for a week. And uh, my parents were pretty good. They, my mom was very strict. But as we got older, they, they were, what's the right word? Now, my sister probably wouldn't agree with me who's watching. But they relaxed more. You ever heard the saying, give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves? And I remember going out with one of my friends one time. I had a curfew. I think it was like 9 o'clock on school nights. And we went down to the creek. And we were playing down at the creek. And we went way past 9 o'clock. I mean, 10 after, quarter after, my parents were okay. You know, you're late. What are you doing? You're late. This is like gone 10 o'clock. So it was a long time. And I remember getting home. Now, my mom was a disciplinarian in our house. She'd slap you upside the face. That was her thing. Every 15 minutes, just in case you forgot that it happened 15 minutes ago. But dad, not so much. And uh, I can kind of remember coming in this time, and I knew I was going to be in major trouble. And dad asked, where you been? I don't remember the conversation. I do remember the spanking. I got big hands. My dad had big hands. And I tell you what, that hurt. And then he said, you're grounded for a week. Now, this is 1960-something. There are no cell phones. In fact, we didn't even have a house phone. Two, t two channels on the TV in England, 
BBC One and ITV. No internet. None of that stuff was invented. So you're grounded for a week. You're reading books up in your bedroom. That's all there is. And, and the one thing I can remember from this is in the middle of the week, like Tuesday or whatever, my dad came down. I was in the living room with one of my sisters. And he said, all right, you, you can go out. And he walked out the door. And I said to her, I knew he would break. <laughs> and he heard me. <laughs> he didn't break. <laughs> Now, my dad didn't do all that because he was arbitrary. He wasn't trying to prove that he was the man of the house. He was trying to teach me a lesson that it's important to obey the rules and that parents who love you will discipline you. They'll do something about it. In my youthful zest, you know, my parents gave me enough rope. But in my youthful zest, if I took enough rope and I started to hang myself, they'd reel me in. You're being an idiot. They would help me with my choices. It's exactly the same in this relationship with the Lord. We are his children. The Lord will always meet you where you're at. But he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. And he's going to do whatever needs to be done to help you take the next step and move forward in your relationship with him. So let's go back to this passage here. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. It's a warm yet scary passage of Scripture. On Friday, we took um, the two, two of our grandchildren that were up here to go and see Thomas the Tank Engine at Grapevine. The amount of kids having tantrums on Friday, I think it was an all-time record high. You know, mom would say, it's time to go. And the kids would burst into a tantrum. Our grandchildren were well-behaved. But those other people's children. <laughs> but that's what children do, right? They throw tantrums. And if not corrected, they will continue to throw tantrums all the way into their adult life. And we all know those people, don't we? They just never learned. And sometimes, I'm going to be judgmental here, you see lazy parenting. You ever been in Walmart and the person in front of you and the kid is asking for something? And mom is saying, no. Oh, this is none of you. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> and the kid keeps asking and the parent keeps saying no. But the kid keeps asking because they know mom's going to give in. And if mom doesn't give in, the kid gets louder and louder. And the kid knows she's going to be embarrassed. She'll do anything to shut me up. So she's going to give me whatever I get. And they know that. I see you smiling there, Roy. Are you the one? <laughs> and it's always one parent, isn't it? <laughs> There's a scripture about that. Ask and you will receive. So we know what child you were. <laughs> Good parents correct their children. Our Lord is a good parent. He's not going to let us 
have a tantrum when things don't go the way that we want them to go, differently than the way he wants it to go. That's what this proverb is saying. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. Bad stuff happens, right? It's a broken world and we live in it, but it's a whole different kettle of fish when your trials are the result of divine discipline. I know I've asked this before. Do we say kettle of fish? Good. (laughs) Sometimes I get to talk to people. I'm being very judgmental this morning. Please forgive me, Lord. Sometimes I, I get to talk to people. They'll come to me. And they're complaining about life. You know, you get into a conversation and and they're Christian. Never seen them. And, you know, yeah, all the boxes are checked. But there's nothing in their lives that would indicate that they're Christian. They never come to church. There's nothing. They just have this belief in God. And their lives are an absolute mess. And they want to know, why is God allowing this? Why is God doing this? And sometimes you have to be the bearer of bad news. Maybe he's trying to get your attention. If you're his child and he's your father and you're ignoring him, maybe he's trying to get your attention. And the way that he gets your attention is to take you to a place where it gets kind of hot and difficult and you don't like it anymore. And what are you going to do? Oh, God, please help me. Ah, we're speaking. Glad you called. I don't like to have to do that to you to get you to call. I'd like you to just call. I'd like to hear from you. But if I don't hear from you, I'll send you a wake-up message. You know, if you're unfaithful to God with your time, expect to be busy. Expect to be busy. If you won't trust the creator of time with your time, he's going to make you think about that. If you're unfaithful to God with with your talents, God has given you natural talents, he's given you spiritual talents, he's given you abilities that he expects you to use from him. But if you don't use them, expect a wake-up call. And if you're unfaithful to God with your treasure, it's the one that most people struggle with, maybe expect your relationship with money to be out of balance, that you'll always be worried about money, regardless of how much money you have. It's all his money anyway. If you have a problem with it, he's going to do something to draw it to your attention so that you can get it balanced right. This is hard. There's only another half an hour to go. I'll tell you why this is hard. Because I know that there are people in this room. Oh, I promised I wouldn't do that. I know there are people in this room who are going through the trials of life. They're facing difficulties. And then Pastor Mike gets up here and says, get your life in order, get back with God, and maybe your trials are going away. But that's probably external trials that we all have to deal with. The truth of the matter is, 
we all fail God. And God wants to get our attention. And God will get our attention. I'm not trying to minimize anybody's hurt or anybody's pain. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes God will do things to correct our behavior. And we need to heed it. What's it say in verse 12? For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Do you ever think of yourself as someone that the Lord delights in? Nobody wants to raise their hand for that one, right? We kind of shy away from that one. Because typically we don't feel worthy enough that the Lord would delight in us. Because our lives are not good enough, right? We've all got stuff. But I love this little passage of scripture. For the Lord corrects those he loves. He corrects those he loves. Every person he loves needs correcting. Do you need correcting? Join a club. That's all that's available. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Broken people are all that's available to God. That's us. Now, why would God correct the one in whom he delights? Because God wants the absolute best for us. He wants the absolute best for us in this fallen, broken world. So let me make this practical here. How do we differentiate between external trials and internal trials? How do we recognize whether this is just something that's happening because we live in a fallen world or this is something that God is doing because he wants to get our attention? We do what David did, the David tests in Psalm 139, 23, 24. Did I put that in your outline? Yep. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting lives. Three steps to this, all right? Three practical steps. The first one's the easy one, pray. Pray, call on the Lord, go to God with a sincere heart and ask for his help. God, this thing that is happening to me, is this just life or are you trying to get my attention? Is there something going on within me that I need to know about that I'm sinning? Most of us know when. Is there something that needs to be fixed in my behavior? And you invite him into your struggle. Search me, show me. Know my anxious thoughts. Fear and anxiety are so often the root of sin. We hold back because we're afraid. I don't want to give this to you, God. What if? What if? What if? Step two, listen. Listen to what he says. Is, an area of, is there an area of disobedience that needs to be dealt with? Point out in me anything that offends you. Now, there's four ways that the Lord is going to do this. Number one, through his word, scripture. If you keep coming across passages of scripture that have the same kind of message, that could be a clue. 
If every time you go to Bible Gateway or you've got a devotion that you like to do and it seems that God is saying something to you, that could be a clue. God is saying something to you. Number two, through circumstances. God will allow things to happen in our lives. I remember years and years ago, Mike Weaver preaching on, said, if you need patience, you're going to be stuck at every red light in town. (laughs) If you're trying to learn patience... God is going to give you opportunity to learn patience. God will bring circumstances into your life. If you're struggling with something, and this will go into what we're going to talk about next week with tests, God will bring those things in your life. He will give you opportunity to be faithful. The third one, through others. The people you love. I've said it so many times. God sounds like an English woman that lives in my house. (laughs) You know, sometimes you got something going on. It's the people who love you the most, who care for you the most, who will have the difficult conversations with you. We don't like them. I know Sandra sometimes doesn't have conversations with me because I don't deal with it very well. But if you've prayed and you've asked God, God, I want to get better at this, God. I want your blessing. I don't want to live under divine discipline. I I want everything you've got for me. Well, here's a couple of scriptures for you. Let me get some circumstances, and I'm sending Mike Bishop over. He's going to chat with you. And the last one, through the Holy Spirit. I think when something is wrong, for the most part, we know. We're struggling with something, and we've been struggling with it for years. We know what it is. Because God has given us his Holy Spirit. He is a counselor. He is, what's the right word I want here? Your conscience. He's going to keep, what's that? That's the Holy Spirit. And then step three. Follow his lead. So you've prayed. God, this stuff is going on in my life. My life never seems to get where it needs to be. It's just like a war zone. God, is this stuff happening to me or or is that you trying to get my attention? Is there something in me that I need to deal with that you want me to come to you, God? And then all of a sudden through the word, through circumstances, through other people and through the Holy Spirit, you know that it's God and he's pointing out this area of your life. Now you've got to follow his lead and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What you don't want to do is start just looping around. I didn't get it. Well, you got to do it all again. I didn't get it. Well, you got to do it all again because your father who loves you isn't going to let you off the hook. You might go to your grave with a pain in your side, but he's not going to let you off the hook. He loves you too much. He wants the best for you. Did you know that repentance is a gift? Romans 2.4 says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God is not trying to guilt you into anything. He is leading you in the way 
everlasting. He has a better plan. Let me close. I want to bring this all the way back around to what I talked to the kids. We began with the children and their lesson about Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived. Wise people do not reject the Lord's discipline. They heed it and they make the change. They accept it and they accept the correction. You are the apple of his eye. And it grieves God when his children reject his ways. It grieves God when he has to correct our ways. But this is a love relationship, and love goes two ways. And in that passage of of time, before Jesus said those words, in this world you will have trouble, in that conversation he said this to them in John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's what a love relationship is about. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. We are in later. God doesn't want us to live in fear of his retribution. He wants us to live in the peace of his blessings. Spirit-filled lives overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Mr. Nico. Oh, that woke you up, didn't it? (laughs) I have something for you, sir. You've got to come all the way up here. Can you sing? (laughs) This is not going to work then. Here's your book. Every child, when they uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we give them a workbook. Christina had a workbook before she got baptized, and it explains to them everything about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So Nico did his, and uh, his answers were all spot on. And right here is your certificate of baptism. Welcome to the family of Christ. Mr. Mo Kinsley. Will the people who are going to help me with the offerings come up at this time, please? I tell you what, Pastor Mike, that's a hard thing to follow when a young man gets his certificate. That's tough. But you know what? God is good. And he's always there for us. And, you know, we talk about prayer warriors You know that each one of you has their own personal prayer warrior. I used to think it was my grandmother, and then she passed on. But I found out later as I studied more in the Word that the Holy Spirit is every Christian's prayer warrior. 
when you can't find the words to say, he does that to the Father. He, he tells the Lord, no, he really means this, you know. Mo's a knucklehead. And he's usually right. But uh, I'll go on and on about that. But let's pray for the offering.